Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, just to let you know, in this episode, we will be talking about sexual abuse and rape culture. So if this might be a bit triggering for you or isn't something you're in the mood for, then feel free to listen to one of our other episodes. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week, we're discussing sexual violence towards women with Richie Brave. So over the last couple of weeks, um, there's been a lot of women sharing their stories on the timeline about sexual abuse, from Ray Black being groped at an industry event to a list of accused abusers being shared on Twitter. So obviously we know it's really important to have these discussions and share our stories to understand the experiences of the women. And um, We wanted to make sure that when we had this conversation, we had a male perspective too. So today we're joined by Richie Brave. Hey, hello, hey. hello. Hey. hey, thanks for having me. So how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm sad that the sun has gone. Mm-hmm. But um, mm. I'm I'm living. Amen. <laughs> we like to always ask our guests, that are typically women, what makes them a dope black woman. But as a man, what makes you a dope black man? Wow! And you know, I'd, what makes me what makes me a dope black man? Um, I think probably the thing I'm most proud about myself, and that's my ability to connect to people. And use that to drive the conversation of blackness forwards, really. So mm-hmm. I just use my empathy and my love for my community to do what I can. So I think, yeah, I think that probably answers it. I'm not but sure. It's always difficult to speak good is, about yourself, to right? yourself, isn't it? But it's yeah, I'm like, yo, who am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know you, like I first came across you from, um, there was a video on The Grapevine and you did a really powerful um explanation about like post-traumatic stress disorder with gang violence you spoke about i think it was your cousin at the time so that's kind of like how i found out about you for people who might not have heard of you before how do you describe your career background and like the type of things that you do yeah so um i've got a background in therapy so um cbt based um group so i did over 10 years in domestic abuse um facilitating domestic abuse perpetrator programs so I've got a long history in that. Um, I've had a podcast of my own on the BBC called um, Brave Conversations. Don't know. Yeah, I've got a background in youth work. So I was a youth worker from the age of about 16 and I did that for about um, 10 years as well. So to be honest, yeah, my background is kind of community work and 
you know, dismantling white supremacy on the TL, you know what I mean? And doing what I can in my community. <laughs> Keyboard warrior, that's how people... <laughs> <laughs> can I ask, I'm really interested, you mentioned um, programmes for perpetrators. So is that yeah. um, someone gets arrested that then release, your job is about what happens after that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly that. So when I'm talking about programmes, that would be like a nine-month programme based on domestic abuse and what that looks like and the dynamics of it and, you know, the offence and what's happened inside the relationship, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've done all sorts of programmes. I've also worked with rapists, paedophiles, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've done a lot of work around that. Have you ever worked with Circles uh, circles of Support and Accountability? Because that's a programme that I've worked with. Uh, no, I haven't. Well. I know of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Of it, I was I gonna say, do you did your line of work with Le- Leanne overlap with what he's talking about? Yeah. So I do justice reform policy, but the reintegration of offenders stuff that I do is specifically around sexual violence. So I don't really touch DV necessarily, unless yeah, there's yeah, an yeah, element yeah. of rape or sexual assault that's involved. But yeah, that's really cool. There's definitely an overlap. Absolutely. And then my what I do now is diversity and inclusion. So I'm pretty much based in that, really. I think one of the interesting things with that bit of work, though, is that you really get to see, or it really dismantles this narrative about what a sex offender or what a rapist looks like. Because mm. I think, Absolutely. like someone else said, I think it was Livs that said it in the last episode, there's this idea that, like, a perpetrator of domestic abuse has a certain, you know, is like this snarling character that's mm. in the it's corner. A dark man in the alley. Yeah. 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 When actually sex offenders and persons that are abusive or men that are abusive anyway, more specifically, because I think female offenders are a whole different characteristics, set of Absolutely. characteristics, but are actually quite charming and gregarious and like Definitely. welcoming. I mean, it's part of the reason that they're able to perpetrate in mm. the way that they are, right? absolutely yeah you're bang on the money and there's no there's no look and i I, it's really funny someone said on the timeline the other day oh you know women young girls need to stop um being around older men and getting themselves in trouble and i was a bit like well number one they're not at fault it's exactly it's it's the it's the adult's responsibility but equally what are you doing asking young girls not to be around men in their family because yeah. people who mm. offend against you aren't just these random people on the street. They can mm. be your friends. They can be your family members. They can be anyone. You you, you can't prepare yourself for something like that. So, yeah, um, exactly. yeah, I think it's about changing people's, the narrative and kind of dismantling that a little bit because everyone has this viewpoint on what it is and actually it's not that at all. Because mm. I remember when um, the Ted Bundy documentary came out on Netflix mm. and, you know, this idea that he was this oh, gorgeous man, he was educated, he was, a, I think he was a teacher, like, people were like, no, there's no way, there's no way. And it's like, it took something like 30 women before people realised, like, yeah. and it, it, it's crazy, it, that happens all the time, that it's like, people don't want to believe um, that this person is capable of such things. And even across the genders, you know, it's more likely to be a partner or a friend or someone you know rather mm-hmm. than a complete stranger. Yeah, and I think even Definitely. sometimes as an individual, as a victim, you don't want to believe that that person did that or was capable of that. Yeah. I was watching, Absolutely. I've been watching a series called Love Goals, like this American programme. And in that series, they had like a session where everyone spoke about their trauma and that's something that kept coming up. So like, if there was five women, four out of the five have had some sort of experience of sexual assault and in most cases it was like I didn't want to accept that that was happening to me and it was so powerful mm. like seeing because no one knew that no one knew they all had this in common they thought they were all like these completely different people they're all different celebrities but they were all unified by this one 
like traumatic experience. Wow. But just going back to what you said earlier about working with rapists and perpetrators, you were talking about you help them with their road to recovery. But like, what does that actually look like? So I, uh, so I'll be clear. What I originally did was um, programs. So I guess mm-hmm. you know that should probably be the focus because I, you know, I spoke to somebody recently about the overlap between domestic abuse and. Um, sexual abuse in relationships mm-hmm. and that's not to say that everyone who has been physically abusive through violence is going to be sexually abusive but once that plays a part in a relationship it shapes the dynamics of a relationship so if you know the worst possible case scenario is if you don't do what this person wants they're going to hit you then nine times out of ten you're going to comply whether you like it or not Mm. So, you know, when we're talking about consent and having that conversation, if I know there's a possible threat of violence in that relationship, when it comes to offering my consent, am I, or uh, looking like I'm offering my consent, am I doing that because I'm willfully participating in sex or am I doing it to keep myself safe? Mm. And there's a question around that when it comes to building up trust, um, accountability and safety in a relationship. So essentially, it's kind of just exploring the thoughts, feelings and behaviours, kind of looking at the behaviours, why the behaviours happen what is a thought process looking at childhood looking at attitudes towards women looking at attitudes towards relationships so literally is going in depth into somebody's um thoughts feelings and beliefs behaviors etc yeah because one of the things that we do or i've done through uh circles of support and accountability is one of the first things that you have to do when you enter the program and it has to be voluntary is that you have to do a complete disclosure of your entire life journey mm-hmm. from like childhood straight to adult Mm. And so how does like cognitive behavioral therapy help to shift that once you've identified kind of the historical triggers and um, connections to current adult behavior? um, How how does cognitive behavioral therapy help to address that? Well, I think it's important that I say I'm not addressing any organization. I'm not representing any organization. Um, I'm talking from personal experience and it's not a job that I do anymore. Um, But what I will say is it gives you the foundation to start to pick things apart. So you are never able to address or explore behavior or beliefs if you don't verbalize them. So quite often the way in which you could do something like that is you present the subject in uh, a disassociated way. So sometimes when you're looking at yourself, it's easier when you use a scenario related to somebody else because it doesn't feel so personal. And then when you use a scenario that isn't specific to yourself, you can start to relate it to elements of who you are and what Mm. you've done and your experiences. So um, that's probably a roundabout way of saying, you know, what this does is it provides people an opportunity to look at themselves in a safe space you know, and and be emotionally open. So, you know, when we do have conversations like this, it is a really um, emotive space for a lot of people, you know? Mm. So it's kind of giving people a platform to have a conversation and um, e- explore themselves in a way that they probably never have before. And, you know, a lot of the way we behave as adults is influenced by our environments growing up. And we kind of touched on consent earlier um, in the conversation. I think you mentioned it, Richie. But what, what's everyone's opinions on the way sex education is taught in schools? Did anyone ever remember being taught about consent? Because I don't. 
Really? Yeah, no, consent was never really a part of it. It was more about how our baby's actually made and, you know, the more scientific part of that. And I think what's really interesting, you know, the work that Richie did before, I guess you could say was more of the quote-unquote quote unquote, um, extreme end of the spectrum where you have convicted rapists and convicted abusers. But it just translates into everyday life and it happens all the time where individuals you know, they think the lines around consent are very blurred. And I think part of that is due to a lack of education. It's interesting because obviously I grew up in Jamaica where we did talk about, I did have sex education classes that were largely taught by counselors or by religious leaders. So we had a priest, I think, for a couple of years that definitely taught. And so we did learn about consent, but it was in a very like linear traditional type of way and very much geared towards the idea of promoting abstinence rather than kind of sex positivity, as it were. So it was mm. like, if you say yes, you know, it's you, if you want to say no, you have to scream no, you have to shout no, you have to physically show that you're not willing to accept this kind of behavior. So some of the more subtle forms of like that flight or fright where you might just freeze if somebody's aggressively attacking you or the kind of like, let me wear this person down until she says yes. Those Coercion, are the kinds yeah. of things, yeah, we never really talked about. That's terrifying for me to listen to because almost what you're saying is, you're, you, that's giving somebody the excuse to say, well, you never screamed, you never shouted, you weren't flailing your arms, you didn't try and fight me, so obviously you consented to it. Like, yeah. sending, you know, young people that message, to me, is scary. As a man yourself, it's like, how often do you think... Like, if you... You know, like, people talk about locker room banter, so, like, when boys are together with other boys, the things yeah. they'll talk about that they would never say in front of a woman. Do you think, like a lot of men actually understand like the blurred lines, the lines around consent. Well, I can only offer a perspective. Um, I can't be the voice of all men, you know? So like in terms of my, you know, my personal perspective, I feel like there are messages all around men and boys. I mean, an example was just given, you know, like Leanne gave an example where, you know, boys are giving, being given very mixed messages around what consent is. And I feel like, you know, for some men, your friends will um, also con collude with that as well and reinforce mm. that. When you look at what you see on television and the way in which women are portrayed, when you look at the ways in which women's sexuality has been restricted, when you look at the way men have been inducted, and you know, when we start to talk about toxic masculinity, and I'm not talking about it in a buzz in a buzzword sense, but I'm talking about the violent action of inducting young boys into a type of masculinity that doesn't serve anybody. So, you know, how many women or men, depending on your sexuality, how many people you've had sex with reinforces how much of a man and how desirable you are and you get that sex by hook or by crook you know and I think these conversations are starting to help um, I think the, the ways in which we do tackle this kind of stuff is being open with conversation. I don't expect people to bear their experiences and bear their souls. But what I'm saying is we need to be open about consent. So recently I posted something on Instagram and it was kind of like a consent 101, kind of explaining what consent is, um, understanding that coercion and rape exist on the same continuum. You cannot separate the two. Mm -hmm. So even if it's she was so scared, she didn't feel like she could say no and I did it anyway, um, or removing the condom 
um, when you're having sex, so stealthing, that exists on the same continuum, continuum as rape. So when we're having these conversations, we need to be very, very, very clear about what it is with women and with men. We need to be clear with men around what consent is and what it isn't. There's the whole aspect of the um, rape culture being a pyramid, right? That like it doesn't yeah, just yeah, yeah. go from being... a It's not just like you're either a rapist or you're not. There's all the stuff in the middle. Um, and, you know, it could be like a passing comment in the street. It could be like looking at someone inappropriate. It could be like making an inappropriate joke at work. And I guess I think what I've seen with young men is a lot of them don't understand this language and so they don't realise they're doing anything wrong. Like, for example, could you explain, like, when you say coercion, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? Yeah, so coercion is the act of removing consent. So it's it, people always think of abuse and assault or rape as... Um, be, I, I'm not trying to trigger anyone, but being held down physically... Right. People always assume it's that. But actually, it's removing your ability to say no. So, for instance, I may not I could just stick a knife on the table if you. So say you've met me. I'm from the ends. I've got this reputation maybe for hurting people mm. and you're in my house and I just pick up a knife and I leave it on the table and I don't say anything about it. That mm. is going to have an impact on how safe you feel. You know, so I may not, uh, I could say, well, you know, we did this, you felt you were comfortable at the time, you wanted to do it, but I've removed your ability to say no. Or if I'm in a relationship with you and um, I want to have sex, you don't. And I start sulking and I'm sulking and sulking and making you feel uncomfortable and I'm creating this environment for you where you don't feel like you're able to say no. That's coercing you into saying yes. It's mm. forcing you to say yes. It's removing your will. So when we're talking about consent, we can't just look at, you know, these real physical acts of someone removing somebody's liberty. This is also removing your ability to say no. And that's done in lots of different ways. That's blackmail. That's... Mm. If you don't sleep with me, then I'm... You know, if we're not together, if you don't sleep with me, I'm going to go and tell the judge or I'm going to go and tell the authorities that you're a bad mum or I'm going to call social services mm. on you. So you're in this dynamic of having to do things that you don't want to do just to keep yourself safe and keep your children safe. Does that make sense? No, it, yeah, 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 it yeah. does. And I think it's really interesting, especially the example of the knife and it being a guy from the end, because I could actually imagine that scenario happening and the guy not even doing it in that way. He might have just put it out. But the girls now thought, if I say no, what risk am I going to be at? Do you mm. know what I mean? And I think it, that links back to what Liz was saying about there being so many blurred lines because mm. they could both leave that situation and both not think anything bad actually happened. And it's not until maybe the girl gets older and then realises what actually happened at night that led to her having sex with that person. But for you guys, like, as adults now, what, what does consent look like to you? I love that video. Has anyone seen that video of like consent is like a cup of tea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, explain. It does explain. it so well. Okay, so it's um, it's only about four minutes or so. And he says consent is like a cup of tea. Like if you ask someone, do you want a cup of tea? And they say no, then you can't force them to. You could make them the cup of tea, but you can't force them to drink it. You can make them a cup of tea and then they say, actually, I don't want this anymore. Or they might change their mind later. And I think like people overthink it in their minds because there's so much pressure on what sex should look like and how it should be that it should be very sensual and like in the moment and like you know maybe aggressive or passionate or whatever that they're like oh well you know I don't I don't want to like take away the moment but like it's actually really sexy if a guy was like um 
you know, is it all right if I do this? Do you like that? Mm. Does that feel good? That's all ways that you can ask for consent in a way that's not like talking like a robot. Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, not a bit, it's not like, excuse me, I'm just looking at my spreadsheet and I'm wondering if this is okay. Can I touch there? Do you mind? Like, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's having an open conversation and that can be very sexy. Does that mm. feel good? Can I touch you there? Like, do you like this? How about yeah. if I do this? You're constantly checking in with the person. I love being asked, does that feel good? I was going to say that actually sounds really attractive. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird how we're normalized. Like, even for women, we are we find oftentimes the idea of the aggression or the passion or anything else to be what we think of as sexy or what we think of as being wanted when actually the opposite is quite true. And I think in a lot of ways, I don't know if you guys feel this to be true, that we've also been conditioned and as a result sometimes become complicit in feeding into the patriarchy. I don't know if you guys feel like you've been in situations where you accommodate somebody's wrongful behavior because you don't want to be seen as kind of the angry black woman or you don't want to be seen as the girl that's being difficult Mm. yeah I think that can happen a lot um for girls who are in situations where they almost feel like they have reached a point where it's like it's too late to say no Mm. do you know I I hear my friends in that situation where they're like yeah but I was already in bed with him yeah but I was already in his house I was already naked so I didn't feel like I could say no I think that's a real problem that people don't really talk Mm. about I don't know if you guys remember the Aziz Ansari story where he took this girl out on a date and she went to his house and they I think she gave him head after some like coercion what I would refer to as coercion. And then mm-hmm. she basically, he wore her down. And she, in response, a lot of people were like, well, it was just a bad date, get over it. And they often, mm. they kind of blamed her for being complicit in her behavior. Like, what was she doing there? Or, you know, she could have left a long time ago. And it goes back to what Rishi was talking about in, t- in the sense of the power dynamics and how women might feel when they're alone and with someone who's, famous or as he said the man from the ends mm-hmm. and so I, I don't know how i i guess my question is as a man richie uh how do you feel calling out your friends when they tell those kinds of stories like how do you do it in a way that doesn't isn't immediately dismissed as you just trying to be the good guy or not being one of the man them you're moving mad bro <laughs> straight, <laughs> to the straight. Yeah. straight to the point straight to the point you got like for me, it's moving. I'm I'm known for being diplomatic, but I'm also known for being really transparent and real. And you can't dance around that. And to be honest with you, I don't think I've really been in that position where I've had something explained to me where I thought, "Rah, like you're moving mad." I've had like when we've been out, like the way friends are maybe moving to people, and I'm a bit like, mm. mm, 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 "Like you need to leave that alone." I remember going to a party once, and the way my friend was on this girl, I was a bit like, "Mate, this is you got to tone it down. Like mm. this doesn't look comfortable to me, you know." So I feel like if someone's your friend, you can come and tell them anything. For me personally, that's the kind mm. of friendships I have. We have a real open you know, a real open kind of circle. And, you know, I've I've got a couple of circles and we're all very open and honest with each other. So I feel like, you know, essentially you're saving 
you you might feel like you're saving your friend but you're also saving a woman you know like from mm. a negative experience so really is if if hurting your friend's feelings in the short term means that someone's safe in the long term then you just got to do that man like you can't i can't be sitting there thinking about is this going to ruin my friendship you know that's like that then you're complicit no when you're talking about the 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 rape pyramid um or the 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 rape culture pyramid that you're speaking about a bit earlier on um and even when we're talking about other subjects silence is complicity and if my friend is moving mad i'm just going to tell you straight i ain't got time for that mm. Mm. i feel like that's the way you got to do it really mm. i i there's I'm trying to think if there's been times where things have been said and I'm like, nah. I feel like things haven't been said about direct situations, but scenarios get brought up. Like hypotheticals. You know? Yeah, or hypotheticals and stuff. And because I feel I like you. I find myself arguing with guys about hypotheticals a lot. And I have to yeah, remind myself, like, yeah. this isn't real life. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> but this could be. You know, well, your like, belief ooh, system. Ah, like one of them. <laughs> no, but you're quite right. <laughs> your belief system underpins your behavior. So my beliefs are going to have a direct impact on the way in which I behave. Mm. So if you're, if you are complicit in rape culture, when we're talking about hypotheticals, then there's a possibility when you are faced with an actual situation, you are going to behave in a way that makes somebody feel unsafe. Yeah. So for me, even if it is hypothetical, I'm going to go hard, didn't it? Yeah. Because I find it done. frustrating because I feel like if I'm talking to a guy and like rape culture comes up or sexual abuse or something like that, they're always quick to be like, or in my experience, majority have always been quick to be like, but the girl could be lying. Or they'll give me a scenario. My boy from one year ago, mama's in the situation and this girl like, I didn't ask you about your guy from Enfield from a young year ago. Like, I'm talking to you about a scenario that's going on now. And so they always use that as a defence mechanism. And like, it's not to write off what they're saying because I'm very much aware that women do do that. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very It's very rare. frustrating. But that is very rare. As well, is like, what's your understanding of sexual abuse? Because I um, learned, when the Me Too movement went around, I learned a lot about problematic things that I was doing. So, like, I'll be in the club and be drunk, yeah? I'm, I'm smiling, <laughs> but I should be smiling. But I'll be in the club and be drunk and be, like, squeezing the guy's bum. But it was, like, my way of flirting. So if I squeezed his bum, I was probably interested. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? And he would turn around and I'd be like... <laughs> and he'll be like, I know it was you, you know, I know it was you. And I'll be like, it wasn't me. And we'd end up sure. talking. That was my way of showing my shot, like it worked. But it wasn't until the Me Too movement when I was like, I have no right to touch that guy's bum because when mm. someone does that to me, I don't find that funny. I don't care what you're trying to tell me this is or isn't. I'm busted a switch. And it mm. wasn't until like that whole thing went around where I had to look at myself and be like, wow, why do I think that's okay to do that? Like, who, who gave me the right? And obviously, it's a double standard because I've never been in a scenario where a man um, responded negatively and naturally, or subconsciously, I wouldn't expect a man to respond negatively. But it doesn't mean they enjoy it or they like it. Do you get what I mean? Mm. So, like, mm. I wonder if you guys have ever had a situation where you've realised that something that seems normal or okay was actually sexual abuse. I mean, I wouldn't go as far to call it sexual abuse, but um, I think you know, a lot of things that are part of rape culture, people don't refer to it as sexual assault because, like, it's like, it's almost worse to be called a rapist than to talk about rape. Like, people are like, I'm not a rapist. I'm not. the same way to talk about racism. It's like, it's almost worse to be called a racist than to talk about racism. Um, so, you know, examples like uh, when you're in the club and a guy touches the small of your back in order to get past 
or they'll be like just on your bum in order to get past you. And it's like, you really didn't need to touch me. And you know what you're doing? Because you wouldn't do this to the guy next to me. You only do it to the girls around you. True. That shit pisses me off. But it feels too small in the moment to bring it up. You're like, oh, I don't want to seem crazy. And you just get used to it. And you just learn to like not even mention it when it happens. And I feel like there's a certain level of defensiveness that comes about. Like I remember I was in the club once and this guy was just standing a little bit too close. And, you know, I I kept moving forward and he just kept coming a little bit too close until I turned around and he was like, what's the problem? And I was like, you need to take a step back. He's like, what, you don't like it? Are you on your period or something? What's your problem? Uh, uh, Why you have uh, that? Right. <laughs> I want to play on you. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then my girls had to get involved. But what was interesting in that scenario is that we were out with guys too. And they didn't even clock to them that that was something that would have made me uncomfortable or that I should have been as offended as I was about it. And so I think, yeah, you're right. The subtleties are really tricky. And you do sometimes feel like, do I even bother to bring this up? Because what's going to come of it? Mm-hmm. And I hate it when people say that whole narrative about, well, I have a friend and that girl was lying. Because as Richie just said, the percentage of women that lie is like 2 to 4% versus 1 in 2 women that are assaulted every day. Mm. So this I is find just it what difficult. Because how is it that you don't have any friends that have done anything wrong ever in life? <laughs> like, you and your <laughs> 10 man them. None of nuts. my friends are... All of my friends that you have been involved... Holy yeah, collective, like. ...are clean, on a safe. But who are, So where are these men that are out there raping women or sexually people, assaulting women? People are very much more likely to admit that they've been assaulted than they're going to admit that they've participated in assault. And I'm just like, when people are like, oh, I've got this friend and my friend, I'm like, go and ask your female friends uh, who's experienced something that they haven't wanted to experience. Because I can categorically tell you pretty much every single one of my female friends Mm. have experienced something that they haven't liked. Every single one. And a fraction of my male friends as well have Mm. experienced things that, you know, they didn't consent to and they didn't feel comfortable with. So my thing is like, yo, like it's, that is always used to derail the conversation. So when people are like, oh yeah, but women lie. I ain't talking about that right now. I'm talking about the mm. act of abuse. So mm. if you want to talk about that, let's have another conversation at some time. But I'm not trying to have that conversation now. Let's talk about the fact that women are being categorically abused. Let's talk about that. Syst- mm. Systematically abused. It's happening constantly, mm-hmm. all the time. All the time. So are we going to get caught up in the fact that some women lie? Are we going to get caught up in the fact that women in their droves are having negative sexual experiences? Because I know what I want to focus on. Where you at, bro? That's where I'm at. (laughs) And you're right. It is a systemic thing. Like you see it all the way up to the policy level. Um, In terms of laws, in terms of, uh, you know, the fact that many countries don't even have sexual violence acts or sexual offenses acts like you know, some of them don't yeah jamaica just had they just started their sexual offenses act in 2002 nice. a week ago the minister of justice in parliament said we are not putting in a law that allows women to report sexual harassment beyond 12 months because we're not trying to turn into the states where women can just come up 50 years later and say that they've been assaulted. They're like, if you don't report it in 12 months, get over it. That's actually what he said in the middle of parliament. What? Did he say the word, wow. get over it? He said, get over it. That's so mad. That's actually disgusting. Mm-hmm. And so, the yeah, thing your is, point it, stands. 
Yeah, but it's also a lot closer to home because I um I just googled this to make sure because I I read it the other day. So maritable rape. To rape. Talk the things, please, mm-hmm. bro. Marital in this rape, here England, you know, only became law in two thousand and three. So before then, if you went to um, a police officer, oh, my husband raped me, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Your husband can't rape you. Yeah. It has to be like a stranger. It couldn't be your spouse and actually get charged. 2003, you know. It was not, I think mad. it was 1990. Marital rape, I think it was 93. I think it was 93. 92 or 93. Yeah. Okay. Because we oh, used wait, to I'm teach th- it in our groups. Yeah. I'm thinking of something else, the Sexual Offences Act. I don't know. Yeah, Point is, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, itself, it's not even our parents' generation or gra- it's our generation. Yeah. Like this In this here England, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that is, it's like, what, what, what you've highlighted is the importance of, like, how we can be complicit in rape culture because people say, oh, yeah, that's a thing that happens over there. That isn't something that happens here. So no one's looking at what's happening in this country and the dynamics, you know, in our local environments, in our local communities. They're looking at, oh, India, look how bad it is in India. And, oh, people going missing in the West Indies, look how bad it is there. There's nothing that happened in this country that nobody speaks about. But all of those laws that we're speaking about in other countries are predicated upon colonial law. Like they are rooted in British law that just hasn't moved forward. And as Liv's just pointed out, we're only moving forward, what, within the past decade and a half? That's Mm. crazy. Sorry, I'm passionate about this, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. And that just adds to the, the idea that, you know, rape couldn't happen by... I know enough girls who told me a situation with their boyfriend, yeah? And we get to the end of the story and I'm like, that was rape. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And they will be like, no, no, he would never do that. And it's just so ingrained into our minds that it's just not possible that someone you love would do this to you. Mm. And even when you get to like the criminal justice system, there's kind of like a good victim and a bad victim. Mm. So Mm. it's like... If you have got a history of sex work or anything like that, you're instantly written off because the court is going to rip you to pieces. If they can prove that you're somebody who is sex positive and you've had a few partners or you're out and you were kissing somebody else in a club that night, they're going to use that against you as well. So Mm. when we're looking at these kind of things, there are so many, so much effort is put into discrediting women. And I'm not seeing the same effort into, you know, bringing men to justice who have committed these crimes. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. Do you think that the normalization of sex as a man from a very young age plays a part in that? So, I mean, oftentimes when I talk to my male pairs, their inception or their introduction to sex is like 12, 11, 13, 14 Mm. years old, which we all acknowledge as abuse, especially if it's by somebody who's a woman who's older. Absolutely. And so do you think that feeds into the normalization of violence against men, against women as well? I think it can absolutely, absolutely feed into it. It feeds into it for some, maybe not for others. I mean, all of this is multifaceted. And, you know, when we speak about a culture, a culture isn't one thing, is it? It's a Mm. number of things put together to create something. So, you know, the example that you've given directly feeds into that because what you're doing is you're removing the connection for from boys to sex you're saying that yeah. like i think it was chris brown that come out and said oh you know when i was nine i lost my virginity to a 15 year old or 16 year old and everyone was like you got sexually abused 
No, 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 it wasn't sexual. And bare man on the timeline was like, yo, I'd be happy if that happened to me. Why are people complaining, etc., etc., etc.? People were literally promoting abuse on the timeline. I absolutely wow. remember seeing that because it was a young boy. So all of these kind of things, they blur the lines and they make sexual abuse more complex. And we shouldn't be making that complicated. If you are a child and an older person is engaging a sexual act with you, that is abuse. We shouldn't be blurring these lines at all. What do you think um, men could do to kind of try and normalise some of these conversations? Because I feel like still a lot of pressure, like what you're doing, the work you're doing is amazing. I hold my hat to you. But I, I think generally speaking, like, you know, people like outside of Twitter, just conversation with friends, a lot of it, I feel like still falls on women. Like I know when I'm speaking to a group of people, my friends um, could be guys and girls. And, you know, I say something like, <laughs> Oh, you know, that's quite problematic. Sometimes yeah. the response is, oh, here's Olivia going and going on her feminist rod. Like, give mm. it a day off. And it's just like, I don't think I would get that reaction if I was a guy. Well, you, if, if men are the people who benefit the most from patriarchy and patriarchy is a direct inline to rape culture, then we have a responsibility to dismantle that and tackle it. That is with us. We need to be doing that. That's calling out your boys. It's calling out your uncles. It's calling out people in the barbershop. It's when you're seeing behaviour that you don't agree with, saying something about it. You have a responsibility to do something about that. So, you know, in terms of what people can do, for me, it's zero tolerance. If someone says something to me that's mad, I start unpicking that and I ask questions. Oh, really? That's really interesting. Tell me a bit more about that. Oh, well, you said this. On one hand, you're saying this. On the other hand, you're saying that. That doesn't really make sense to me. The two don't go together. And you start to unpick what someone's saying. And the more you unpick it, the more <laughs> ludicrous people realise that it is. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So for me, for men, it's being active in this. It's not taking a passive role. It's when people that are your brethren and you love them, they're saying off things. It's challenging that. Like me, even if my dad said something that was off me and my dad will be having that convo. <clears throat> you have a personal responsibility to do something about that. And listen to women. Don't talk over them. Don't talk for them. Stand beside them. Don't erase their voice. You understand what I mean? If a woman's telling you something, listen to it. You have a responsibility to do that. Because I have male privilege. I can't run away from that. So while I can empathise, I don't know what it's like to live as a woman and navigate society, especially a black woman when you're adding race into that as well. Mm. So for me, it's very important that I listen and learn and I don't attempt to speak over or any emotions that are raised inside of me I don't use that to derail the conversation sometimes it's uncomfortable but how do you grow if you're never criticized and you never learn how do you as a like within your own personal journey how do you start unlearning some of that because as you said it's such a nuanced thing like even in the context of dating how do you find the fine line between pleasing somebody acknowledging consent when it's not verbal to exploiting somebody and then on the extreme version of that kind of genuinely harming someone like where how did you unlearn all of that behavior and how do you now navigate it within the context of dating i think for me this is applicable to everybody irrespective of what your sexuality is so if you are a man it doesn't matter who you're getting into relationships with it's very important that you start to unlearn some of these dynamics so I'm, I've been really lucky in the job that I've done. Um, the kind of household that I come from as well. Like, my family wouldn't be having that. You know, mm. my parents were very open when it, when it came to conversations around sex. And for me, I've probably been in a bit of a unique position because someone very close to me had experienced rape when we were 13, 12, 13. And we're, 
we are still close now and we were very close back then too. Um, so I firsthand saw some of the dynamics around that. So the way in which this, she was a, a young girl at the time, the way she was blamed for what happened, the way people didn't believe her, the way people ripped apart the way that she dresses and the way that she talks and the way she presents herself. And if this happened to you, why aren't you crying every day of your life? Like mm. I had a young experience of that, watching somebody that I love go through that. So for me... I learn from lived experience quite often and seeing that and seeing the hurt and seeing what happened to her and seeing the fact that she never got justice for me was my first induction into that. Like at the age of 12, I think she was 13, I was 12 or we were both 13 at the time, you know? So um, it's being able to have friendships with women that aren't sexual, I think is important for anybody and for women to have sexual, to have relationships with men that aren't sexual. So for people to have friendships because um, you're able to get a window into that. So for me, a lot of the unlearning as well was uh, the majority of my female friends are black feminists. They wouldn't play that shit. If I said something mad, they're going to rip it apart. Mm. You know? So, like, I'm I'm lucky in that sense. Like, I have women that will not let me move mad ever in these conversations. <laughs> it's never going to happen. So I, I definitely think for these sort of conversations, it's really important, as you just said, when for, like, for the encouragement of platonic relationships between men and women yeah I think a definitely lot of men well i think I'm, I'm sure it works both ways but i think the idea of those relationships they're hypersexualized so much so even like going as far as um you know what's their names again is it shanice from love island is it shanice and luke too? yeah is that oh yeah, yeah yeah so like there was a, a picture that went um that went viral of them like two days ago and they're, like, hugging each other, but Shanice's top's off. And the caption was, like, um, practising our home photo shoot for, with Luke T's dad or something like that. And everyone in the comments is, like, oh, my gosh, you let your dad see her naked. La, 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 la. And it's, like, that's his daughter-in-law. I don't think he should have moved to her. Mm. <laughs> like, I actually think it's okay. He's also a professional photographer. So I'm sure he's got lots of other women that have been naked. He's also happily married or appears happily... Like, how did we get here? How did we go from mm. a, a child... Uh, not a child, a woman and her father-in-law to being some sort of incestuous, deep, twisted... Do you understand what I mean? Like, everyone in the comments yeah. is going crazy. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get my, ha- my head around it, but it's because of how much women are sexualized. And, own, and that's about ownership as well. Mm, that's yeah. your woman. How are you letting your woman, the body that you own, do that? You know, and That's I don't think people saying, even realise what they're saying. saying that. Yeah. yeah, it's ownership. And you don't own her body, you know. And Luke is very clearly comfortable with his dad taking pictures because that's his dad and that's his girl. Like, for me, it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. It's a very mm. childish way of looking at it. And even, like, when we were looking at, you know, the cup of tea um, thing we were speaking about? Yeah. I, I think it was, yeah. um, Olivia, I think it was you that mentioned it. I think mm-hmm. I might be right. Mm-hmm. But when we're looking at the cup of tea, that's something that should be teaching children. A grown man shouldn't be having to look at a video talking about consent and relating mm. it to a cup of tea. You as an adult shouldn't have to have a childish video to allow you to understand a simple concept. For me, I think. So mm-hmm. society, you know, generally is doing a, a, a real disservice in not teaching, you know, people this from young. And whenever I did the domestic abuse groups, people would always say, oh, this should be taught in schools. I don't know why you're doing this now. I wish I had known this stuff when I was a kid. And that comes from childhood. Mm. Yeah, I'm not surprised some people are saying this on a timeline. Mm. 
So, I mean, I think um, I'm also interested in, um, as someone who has worked with perpetrators or people that are trying to unlearn things or people that are trying to, um, you know, be better, it's kind of how, what is sort of the emotional fallout of you being in that position? Like, for example, do you ever want to just like scream at them and be like, why are you like this? Why are you getting it? Like, you must have a lot of patience to deal with perpetrators and want to help them try and improve. Because a lot of people are just like, oh, they're cancelled, they're written off, like, they should just be in jail forever and never had the chance to grow again. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do yeah, you build yeah, that yeah. patience? Well, my my role is to keep people safe. So essentially, it's not about me when I'm inside that room. And yes, it does have an emotional impact on you. But essentially, I remove myself. I'm in there to create a safe environment and, you know, kind of get people to work on themselves. So sometimes it's that it's been directed at me. I've been in some mad situations. But um, essentially, like, in the back of my mind, it's always, well, this is for the wider safety of society and women. I mean, the groups that I did overwhelmingly were for heterosexual relationships and men. I've worked with women in the past, but, you know, when it comes to that, I, I it's not about me. You know, and it, I, it, it's di- I, I had this conversation recently and I'm trying to say it without sounding collusive. It's, there's a time and a place to have a conversation, you know. So for me, when you're publicly talking on the timeline, you're going to have survivors looking at that conversation, mm. you know. So for me, if I'm speaking on the timeline, the priority is the survivors who are looking in and um, seeing what's being said. When it comes to working directly with people who have perpetrated in a room, the priority is them and understanding their emotions and holding their emotional space. Do you understand what I mean? So it's important that the context, the context is applied to that conversation. I would never go on the TL and start talking to someone who's been accused of abuse or has been abusive and be like, oh, tell me a bit more about how you feel like that, about that. Tell me about your childhood, et cetera, et cetera, because there are survivors watching. But in a professional setting or in a setting that's devoted to people who have been involved in that behaviour, then that is the time when you emotionally hold those people and yeah. humanise them. Mm. You know, essentially all those people coming in the door are humans. You know, so that's the perspective I come from. Talking about the TL, because something that I was kind of conflicted with, when everyone was talking about their experiences and what's been going on, part of me was like, this is good. It's good to have this conversation online. It will help to educate people, help people to learn, blah, 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 blah. But then the other part was that there's no trigger warnings on any of these things being shared. Like, how is it impacting Mm. people that have been through these sort of things? So just as you're like, no one's obviously going to be right or wrong, but what's your lot's opinion on, on that? I feel like the problem with Twitter is that it just becomes like this massive, just like, bleh, just like word vomit. <laughs> that people can just write a tweet, respond to a tweet, a tweet um, you know, reword it, whatever. And, you know, there's no, there's no um, beginning and end to the conversation. Do you know what I mean? It, just, mm. it can just like go on in any kind of direction. It's like, so there isn't a beginning and end in any kind of structure like Richie does with his sessions. It's like, okay, well, how do we actually come to some kind of conclusion here? Exactly. Mm. And also it's just really, you know, as you mentioned, talking about survivors who can get triggered. Um, it's just exhausting having to watch people go back and forth, back and forth with someone trying to convince them that this is rape or this is sexual assault and it being on a public platform, especially if the person you're arguing with has more followers than you or more clout than you, mm. it just becomes a very exhausting and pointless process. Because like, Popularity this person's contest. never, yeah, this person's never going to give it and be like, you know what, I was wrong. Like, they're like, it's too late now, I'm too in it. 
Yeah, definitely agree with you there. I've seen that and it's really unhelpful on conversations like this because, again, survivors are watching, mm-hmm. you know, and not everyone is coming out and speaking about their experience. Some people are watching what's happening on the timeline and they're quietly triggered by it. And those are probably the people that worry me the most because no one knows to reach out to them because you don't mm. know what their story is. Mm. So that's why we've got to be careful about, you know, what we're speaking about, especially as men, because you've got women watching you, women who have experienced that and they're watching what you're saying. And if you're colluding with someone who's been abusive or you're colluding with rape culture, then essentially what you're doing is you're creating an unsafe environment for them. And if they follow you and they've always rated you, what's happening now is rare. Like, so I thought I could trust you and this is what you collude with. Well, then who can I trust? Mm. I just also don't understand why people just don't shut the fuck up. Like, if you don't agree <laughs> with what is being said, you don't have to insert yourself in this conversation. Absolutely. Just shut the fuck up. Yeah, like because you weren't in that bedroom you weren't in that space you didn't see it for yourself so why is it so easy for you to dismiss a black woman's accusations and defend this man that you've maybe known for and you know him in passing or you know that he seems like a nice kind of guy just don't say anything that that for me works like you don't have to necessarily come to the defense because you weren't there either but just don't say anything mm. Do you feel like there is something specific about why black women aren't believed more often than... I think there, that is a, a big narrative. Like, oftentimes when black men are accused by black women, there is this immediate defensiveness of black men. And R. This, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, uh, Chris Brown, even mm-hmm. though the pictures were there. like Very obvious. There's this, like, patriarchy or this like camaraderie amongst black men that feel like they have to come to the defense of every black man that's being accused. And oh, and it's not just black, black men, men defending as well. It's black women also. You'd True. find the biggest defenders of R. Kelly because me, I'm always coming for R. Kelly, you know? <laughs> and it's not, it's not really men who turn up in my mentions when, I, when I'm talking about him, to be honest with you, mm. defending him. But, you know, what I would say is I think the reasons why, you know, black women find it harder is the stuff that you've spoken about previously, patriarchy, racism, you know, and the dehumanization of black women. So even the strong trope, if you are called a strong black woman, well, if you're strong, you, you'll be able to defend yourself then. Mm. It's dehumanizing. It's not mm. allowing people to see your, your emotions, your femininity, your vulnerability. You're not vulnerable. You're a strong woman. So if any man comes to you, you're never going to have that as a black woman. That could have never happened to you. You're a black woman. Mm. So for me, all of those narratives, they feed into dehumanization. The more I dehumanize you, the more easier you are to abuse. The more easier you are to abuse, the less likely you are to be believed. It all feeds into the same culture. So, it's mad because... Um, you know, what's that? In the I May Destroy You, is it, um, yeah. like, is it called I May Destroy You? Yeah, that's it. What's yeah. the best friend's name? Terry? Yeah. yeah. So in yeah. episode eight, I think it is, or seven, there's like a party scene and she's talking to, to, some, um, some, to someone and she says something in reference to Arabella and she's like, um, blah, 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 we don't do drugs and we don't get raped except for Arabella. And I was like... She's basically insinuating that, that black women don't get I raped. missed that bit. I, I missed that. Yeah, I remember that. I remember and I was that. like, you're what? black and you're saying, like, your friend has been raped, but you're saying that she's the exception to the rule. When, if you're, if you're, you're seeing her go through all this trauma, she's the person who, you know, is taking her to the dance lesson, taking her to the painting sessions to help her get over this trauma. And you somehow think it's just her. That's you know what that. 
can be as well for some people. So you know trauma triggers fight or flight, mm. right? And when people exist within fight or flight, you either fight against something or you run away from it. So mm. um, f- for Terry, we don't know what her experience had been previously. Mm. So for her, that could be flight. She's like, yo, this doesn't happen to us. It, it, she may have had it happen to her, but rather than acknowledge it, she's like, as black women, this doesn't happen. I don't want yeah, a yeah, conversation. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to address it. I don't even want to hear mm. you speak about it. It doesn't happen to us. And if it doesn't happen to us collectively, then it definitely hasn't happened to me. Yeah. You know, so for me, like in any kind of work and conversation, I think it's really important that we stop and attempt to understand the intent behind what someone's saying. Mm. They can say things all the time. But when you start to look at the intent behind someone's words and behaviour, it shifts the way that you view it. For me, if I, I, I didn't, I missed that bit. But the first thing that would have come to my mind is, right, like, are you in denial about something that happened to you? Yeah, it's interesting actually you say that because, you know, there's a scene with her earlier on where she has to threesome. And yeah. for me, for me um, I watched it with my partner and he, you know, because like, it goes back in time, isn't it? So in the episode before that, she's like, but you left me in this... And she kept saying it as if, like, something bad had happened. So when we watched that scene, he was like, I'm so confused. She kept saying it as if something bad happened, but she seems fine. And when I watched it, I was like, she seems fine. So I think what you're saying is pretty much spot on for that scenario mm-hmm. because maybe we... Because in the first scene, you're made out to think she went through trauma, but then when you see it re- re- lay out and um, play out, she seemed like she was fine and she was happy with it. But clearly that might have been them trying to show us that that was what she was pretending to herself. Mm. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't get that she was okay with it. That whole, all of that scene just felt uncomfortable to me. And she was co- essentially what those men did. They knew each other, and you could yeah. see from their body language that was planned. Mm. It was absolutely planned. We don't know if drugs were put in, if a drug was put into her drink either. We have no idea. There was two of her that took her home, you know. But those men definitely knew each other. So really, you thought you was the one who orchestrated this situation with two men. They orchestrated that and they put you in the centre of it. You don't have the control in this and the power anymore. You thought you did, but you didn't. They planned this. And it adds a whole different dynamic. Because mm, I love that scene when she, um, you know, she's just, they've just left. She's feeling really empowered. She's like, oh, I'm on holiday. Yeah. Like I had a threesome. I'm feeling like I'm trying new things. And then she looks out the window and they're both like spuzzing each other. And it's like exactly. they're both like friends. And she's like, hold on a second. Like, and it makes her feel completely different about the situation. I think that's so, so interesting. And there was a scene with Kwame as well, where um, he spoke about, I'm sorry for the spoilers, if anyone's listening and, you know, they haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Everyone but should have watched it they by better now. Seen I'm it right telling now. you, yeah. there was this real powerful moment where he recontextualised a childhood moment. So he spoke about losing his virginity to two men who rolled up in a car and he was in his school uniform. Oh my God. In his school uniform means he's a child. Two men, two people rolling up in a car means they're men. Mm. And you saw the light bulb go on and you saw in his, in his own light. self, isn't it? When he realised what you he saw went through. Because he said it so That happy, scene was so thinking, powerful. Why is this guy saying that? Like, this is nuts. Like, this is, yeah. This is crazy. And even like, I, f- I find this, I found this, um, like I don't watch series. I, I really don't watch TV, but I've watched this one. But I just found this. There's like so many different layers to it. Because even like, he sort of becomes a perpetrator. It's like the victim cycle, go- the, mm-hmm. it goes from the victim to the perpetrator because when he has sex with the um, Greek girl, I can't remember her name, that's under the, the one who's really into straight. black guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's under the pretext <laughs> that he's straight. And then she's like, he's like, oh, I'm gay. She didn't, she didn't consent to see from someone who was gay. She said, but then that adds a further dynamic then because the question then is, 
well, does it matter who your previous sexual partners are? What, what difference does it make? Whether your previous sexual partners have been men and now you're sleeping with women. If he had slept with 500 women before, would that be okay? And he's just slept with one man before her. But That's the question. I think the question is, or the, my response to that would be, or why I would agree with Shan about that is because his intention behind sleeping with that woman was yeah. not just to explore yeah. his sexuality. It was to try, oh, baby, I do enjoy having women with, sex with a woman. I just want to try it out. So she was, she was almost like a guinea pig to him. I thought, yeah. mm. and if that was transparent, it would have been fine. That like if she, if he had said, mm. or even explained, that like took the time to explain it. Obviously, we understand why he didn't watch it. But if he had taken the time to explain it, it would have been a bit different. But even when I watched that, I was like, this is nuts. Like, but that scene explores the nuances of sexuality, doesn't it? And then yeah. the question would be, well, if it's a man sleeping with a woman and she's only slept with women before and she's a lesbian, would the same argument happen? Would the man feel like, yo, like you're sleeping with me or you slept with his women? Or would the approach be different? And I think it speaks to our conversation about sex and sexuality, doesn't it? Mm. Like mm. how men are viewed, how women are viewed, how dynamics are viewed, how sex is viewed, what is consent, what isn't consent, what is acceptable in somebody's sexual past and what isn't. It, it starts to become a bit complex and complicated. Mm. I just want to ask uh, just like a final point on the on the issue of consent, you know, the way we talk about it, like, it's very clear, there aren't any blurred lines. But I guess I'm um, what I would like to ask you is your advice to young men who are hearing all of this kind of stuff for the first time and just feel a bit confused and a bit lost. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, is it okay for me to go up to a woman? Is it okay for me to ask for a woman's number? Like, because, you know, they're fed this, I feel like men are fed this narrative of, you know, you need to chase her. You need to like enjoy the chase. Like if she's easy, it's not worth it. So I feel like there are some men who are hearing, you know, everything that's come out of the Me Too movement and now feel more confused than ever. I think for me, it'd be important. I mean, especially the nature of this podcast, whether it's okay to approach a woman, I think it's very important that women speak to that. And I don't really feel like that's my place because it's women being approached and the power dynamics, the, there's a power dynamic that exists in that. So I don't know if I'd feel comfortable answering that, but what I would say directly is it's important that, you know, whenever you are in, if you are a heterosexual man, whenever you are, or bisexual, when it, whenever you are interacting with women, it's very important that you are constantly respectful and transparent. Because what, what often happens, you know, we spoke about that kind of dynamic where it's, you know, a woman is a prize and you get that prize in any which way that you can. By hook, by crook, you tell her what she needs and wants to hear in order to get into that woman's bed. That is coercion. What you're doing is you're providing a false narrative to manipulate that woman's behaviour and manipulate mm. consent. So I'll always say to young men, old men, because there are men in their 50s that, you know, are learning this as well. It's about being 100% transparent and it's about having open communication. Don't hear what you want to hear. You ask direct questions and you take into account a woman's feelings. And I always say this to young men as well. When you are approaching sex, it's not something that is done to someone. It's something that you do with someone. Mm. And when we view it as something that's done to someone, it's emotionally removed and there's no consideration for that person's experience or that person's emotions. When you are doing it with someone, it mm. changes the dynamics. You start to think about whether that person's comfortable. Or am I doing it in a way that they like? Um, are they comfortable with me approaching them? Are they comfortable with this? Are they comfortable with that? And also read body language. So a woman shouldn't always have to say, no, I don't want to talk to you. If you can see a woman's 
uncomfortable, you ask the question, sorry, do you feel a bit uncomfortable with me approaching you? Or mm. you're uncomfortable with this conversation? People may feel like, oh, yeah, like that's a weak thing to say. But it's better you come across as weak than you make a woman feel un- intimidated or uncomfortable. So for me, it's always that consideration. And I said this to someone recently, I've said it in my groups. Nine times out of 10, men are built biologically stronger than women. And quite often, like nine times out of 10, men will not go for women who are physically stronger than them. Quite often they will approach women who appear that, you know, who nine times out of 10, you're going to come across a woman who wouldn't be as physically as strong as you are. In that comes a power it's a privilege that you've been afforded that you didn't ask for. This is something you should always consider in dynamics. It's almost like having a weapon that you didn't ask for on you constantly. And if that is a weapon you've been offered, it's something that you should constantly be thinking about when you are in dynamics with women. Like, is she feeling comfortable? Am I using my size, my weight, my this, my that, my height to intimidate her? Have a direct conversation. Because for me, as soon as somebody realises that you are considerate of their comfortability, their emotions, their feelings, their consent, the relationship goes up a notch and that person offers you respect. So for me, respect is key and should be at the foundation of everything. True. This isn't a prize. It's not a sport. This is a relation. These are relationships with people, and women just aren't aren't like this homogenous group either. Like I exactly. hate those posts that are like, "Oh, ten ways to get a woman in bed." Like, shut up! Like some women like be a rough sex. Some women like being submissive. Some women like being dominant. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no one rule fits all approach. Definitely agree with you. I like what you said about transparency, though. I think that, for me, is the key thing. Like, regardless of how you approach me or the tone, as long as you're being honest and upfront about why you're coming over, what you're interested in. Because I think a lot of men are interested in not having a relationship, but they need to present themselves as if that's what they want in order to get you into bed. And even though it seems like it's just a, a tactic per se... It is quite damaging and it does leave its own psychological mark on the woman. You're using the woman, essentially. Yeah. That's what it is. And how does she feel after that's done? Mm. So it's not necessarily always about the action, but have a think about how you're leaving her feeling when you walk away from that. I remember once in the barbers having a conversation. Some guy was in the barbers and was like, yeah, there's this woman. She's constantly banging down my phone. I don't understand why she's always bothering me. And then as we went down, he was like, yeah, I went down to this place. Like, he was like, oh, I'm not a man, etc., etc." And then when we got to the story, he's like, yeah, she bought me this. Yeah, we went on holiday to here. Yeah, I was mm. around her what house a last week. What a um, <laughs> what a And you know, you're like, yo, bro. Like, you went on holiday. Trip. Bro, are you playing? Found the all, part two, it, but you don't know this, why she's you, calling me. The whole dynamic was a relationship <laughs> dynamic, <laughs> and you hide behind saying, "I've never said I'm your man." <laughs> For me, you know directly what you're doing. Exactly. You know direct. But it's so funny. Everyone was laughing about the situation when it happened, and when I called it out, the room got very uncomfortable. So you know when I was talking about the responsibility to call things out, I was mm. like, "Yo, you're moving mad, bro. Like that's mad, like." What you're saying doesn't make any sense. You're moving like you're a man. So what do you expect her to do? The barbers went silent. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I meant what I said. You're acting like I you're her man. I said what I said. Yeah, all of your actions. That's like me saying, 
I've I, I've written your name on D, I've I've got a, you've asked me what car you want. I've got this car. I've given you the key. Da, 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 da. Happy birthday. I've said happy birthday. You know, I'm really happy I bought this car. And then when you go outside, I'm like, yeah, but the car's not yours. It's mine. I know that you wanted it and you've got the key in your hand, but I still own it. And I know it's your birthday, but I didn't say it was your car. I just said happy birthday. You know, With the car and, and, hand. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm not objectifying. I'm not trying to use it as an example to objectify, but I'm just using an analogy. You have done all these things to make somebody think something. And then you stand behind saying, I'm not your man. Are you crazy? Like, come on. That's mad mm. breadcrumbing. Exactly. Breadcrumbing. Yeah, yeah that's bread what it's crumbing. called. When you continually leave like drops oh, of what somebody wants just enough so that to they don't nowhere. have to push yeah exactly it leads nowhere <laughs> yeah 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 but i rate that so much your story about the barbershop because i feel like a lot of men would just stay quiet they just yeah. like, oh, do you know what? it's mm-hmm. not my business i'm not going to be the one that's called out and then everyone's looking at me now like it takes such a level of confidence um, yeah a level of confidence and authority and to actually be like yeah Hey, <laughs> I see what you did there. Born and bred South London, you know. You Me, don't I know. don't Something. care. Okay. That's it. New cross, bang, bang. But <laughs> I, I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't care. Now, what are you going to do? Fight me. I don't care. I don't, I, for me, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll say what I need to say. If you are having a conversation around me, there's no... You want me to be involved. If you're having it in front of me in an yeah. open forum and you're chatting shit, then I'm going to say something about it. No? Mm, 100%. You can't tell me nothing, bruv. Nothing. You made yourself look like a dickhead. If you get mad, that shows that you feel like a fool. Well, there you go. (laughs) The end. (laughs) I think you made a good point about uh, kind of patriarchy being endemic to men, obviously, in the same way that racism is endemic to white people. So how Mm. do men move forward? Like, how do we engage this conversation around sex positivity and the idea of openness and a casual nature of without about sex without hypersexual, like continuing to hypersexualize women? You've got to be willing to unlearn. You said it a bit earlier on about um, programs you know, and but in a professional setting. But this goes for personal personal settings as well. You've really got to be willing to unlearn. And if you are not willing to unlearn, then, I mean, what can you do? So that's the first step. The first step is valuing women and understanding that they have autonomy. So someone spoke about, you know, it not being, uh, I think it was you, Liv, I think you spoke about it not being a homogenous group. Women aren't homogenous. Um, you know, it's about affording women autonomy, and understanding that each woman is different and they have ownership over their body. That's the, that's the very foundation. What they're doing with your body is none of your business. Let's start there and then we can start to unlearn the rest. Because that's what patriarchy does. It, it, it convinces men that they have a right over all of women's bodies, over all women in society. It makes you feel like you've got some sort of stake in all women and you don't, bruv, at all. Mm. And I do really feel like it takes um, bursting that bubble. Like, as you mentioned, having a conversation in the barbershop or at your friend's house or at football, whatever, because the men who are already um, attending a conference, women's conference workshop or following Richie Brave and his podcast, like they already know. It's like you have to tap into those areas and those men who have no idea. And that's a lot harder, but it's like, that's what we need to do if we're going to see any real change. 
You can't just like, because I feel sometimes what happens with activism is you're just talking into, um, what's the phrase? Echo chamber. Yeah, you're talking into an echo chamber. So you're just talking to people that already agree with you. Mm. And then people act like they're doing a lot, but they're actually not. Yeah, you're just talking to people that already agree with you. Like, it's a lot harder to go outside of your comfort zone, like you said in the barbershop, for example, and be like, actually, I am going to call this out in this moment. Mm. Absolutely. You've got a responsibility to. If you care about people and you care about people being safe, then it's your responsibility to say something, isn't it? Otherwise, you're just lying. You're just tapping on a keyboard at this point. No? (laughs) True, true. true. So it's been really interesting talking to you today. I feel like I've learned so, 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 so much, like a lot about different things about myself, about what it's like from the experience of, of men. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening will learn and be able to take stuff away from it too. So I just want to say thank you. Genuinely, because I really enjoyed this conversation, even though before Me I was saying too. I was tired. It was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you having me, man. And especially, it's a real honour to be on a platform like this that, you know, is kind of uplifting black women and having some important conversations. So. <laughs> Trust me, all of that, my G, all of that. But, um, what are you working on at the moment and where can people find you online? Well, 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 um, well. since you asked, <laughs> um, Richie Brave at Richie Brave, R I C H I E B R A V E, um, and I've got my own podcast coming. So yeah, second one coming. It's on its way. So it's bow, in bow. Um, it's in the workings at the moment, and that's kind of exploring the realities of um, black living in Britain, really. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's with the BBC again. Brat, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so come on. So it's almost a continuation of you know what I've done previously, but we're going to be covering some great subjects, and we have one on the lived experience of Black women. So oh, you know, wow. for me, this is a really great springboard for that. Yeah, um, that's it. So that's what I'm doing at the moment, and I'm just doing a bit of this, a bit of that kind of panel yeah. events and stuff as well, like hosting mm-hmm. on BET as well, as you know. Oh, so yeah, talk the things. Talk the things, but out, the You know, so yeah, I'm about, man, I'm about. At the moment, a lot of this is obviously online because Miss Rona is still doing her thing. Yo, tell me about <laughs> it. I've gained six pounds. I don't know about you lot, but. Listen, it's not like a few angles like this. <laughs> yeah, I bought a birthday dress and it will not be fitting. <laughs> I have to find a replacement in the matter of because Oh mate. Those those midnight trips to the fridge, just like, do you know what? Fuck it. Like no one can see me. I no keep it's a lot in it. Apple crumble around the corner and it's so nice. <laughs> I've got to deliver today just the apple crumble. Deliver oh yeah. So wow. I that magic. Can't talk too much in that. You know that. Delivery. Delivery. You're paying three ninety nine delivery. Man, so I can't talk too much. Man, never said it was delivery in that man. Girl. You don't know. <laughs> but no, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from on twitter and facebook we're dope black woman and on instagram we're dope black woman one until then stay blessed and unapologetically black all the way black blackly black blacktastic
Oh, you know that sexy voice. Uh, sometimes, man, stop. Yeah, yeah. Black Ted. Joe Black People in love. Well, once I finished, you then say black tastic. Me, yeah? Yeah, yeah you. Oh, okay. Me, yeah? <laughs> hey, I just wanted to know, you know, man don't want to get this wrong man don't, man don't that, you know Man don't want to spark the thing, you know. Man don't want to spark that. Hey, black tastic, you know what? That don't sound too masculine, you know. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> so There's a bit of glitter on that. Stop. Sexual, like, what? What's he trying to say? Just things, my guy. Just say black tastic. Fantastic. Black tastic. You get me? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.